The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Wow, so I suffered through the second night of the second round of Democrat debates. <laughs> wow, what a clown show. Now, I don't know if they all flew in, like the uh, Google conference on climate change, where tons of celebrities, they all arrived in Sicily in uh, 114 private jets and a ton of uh, super yachts, you know, the climate global warming conference. Um, I don't know if they flew in like that, but they definitely came in and made some noise. Um, that's about all they made was noise. <laughs> I mean, you've got Warren Wilhelm the Groundhog Slayer actively stated he would tax the hell out of the rich. He basically sounded like a communist. Remember, when you hear code words like the workers, that's what the Soviet Union basically was. Communism is for the workers. And so he's out there and he actively states that he's going to tax the hell out of everybody. For 40 years, working people have taken it on the chin in this country. For 40 years, the rich have gotten richer and they paid less and less in taxes. It cannot go on this way when I'm president we will even up the score and we will tax the hell out of the wealthy to make this a fairer country and to make sure it's a country that puts working people first. Thank you, Mayor de Blasio. Senator Michael Bennett. Yeah, so then as he's given his communist manifesto right there on the debate stage, of course, you know, he's the same guy that went to Germany to firebomb and protest the G20 conference with Antifa. You know, and while his own state was just falling apart, um, he actually had people shouting at him, fire Pantaleo, which is the New York City cop who didn't face charges in the Eric Garner chokehold death is what they call it. But, you know, he kind of died from a heart attack. It wasn't really from that. You've got that going on. You've got Cory Booker, Spartacus or Spartacus with his eyes popping out of his head. He was pretty inauthentic. You know, he's kind of like Matt Foley. I think I've said that before. It's like, I will move us forward or you'll be living in a van down by the river. You know, he gets out there. He's actually reminds me of Keegan-Michael Key from uh, Mad TV, his character, Coach Hines. Okay, everybody hold the work down. Hold it down, okay? Listen, you jack knobs. <laughs> I found this cherry ring pop, which is delicious, by the way. And this steroid syringe in the showers, which means one of you chugger nuts in here is juicing. And we're not leaving here until I find out who. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Coach Hines right there. And then you got this guy, Michael Bennett. I don't know who he is. Sounds like Mr. Seavers from Growing Pains. You've got Jay Inslee up there. Looks like Al Bundy meets Drew Carey. And then you got Kirsten Gillibrand. Ms. Boxed Franzia Moscato. Ms. Boxed Wine Soccer Mom. She's going to tell us what she's going to do the first day in office. The first thing that I'm going to do when I'm president is I'm going to Clorox the Oval Office. The second thing I'm going to do is I will re-engage on global climate change. 
And I will not only sign the Paris Global Climate Accords, but I will lead a worldwide conversation about the urgency of this crisis. So she would be the first female president in her first day in office? She's going to clean Clorox? Now, that would have been more effective if she scrubbed the Resolute desk back in 1995 when, you know, Slick Willie was getting those hummers from an intern. By the way, she was never asked about why her father represented the Nexium sex cult. Well, I guess we're not going to go there. But then she's going to be the white Trump female interpreter. I don't believe that it's the responsibility of Corey and Kamala to be the only voice that takes on these issues of institutional racism, systemic racism in our country. I think as a white woman of privilege who is a U.S. senator running for president of the United States, it is also my responsibility to lift over those voices that aren't being listened to. And I can talk to those white women in the suburbs that voted for Trump and explain to them what white privilege actually is. That when their son is walking down a street with a bag of M&Ms in his pocket, wearing a hoodie, his whiteness is what protects him from not being shot. When, when, his, when, her, when their child has a car that breaks down and he knocks on someone's door for help and the door opens and the help is given, it's his whiteness that protects him from being shot. So apparently your whiteness is a bulletproof shield and she's going to be the one to be able to talk to those Trump supporters. Luckily for us, there was a moratorium on speaking Spanish for the debate, so we don't have to have her out there speaking to these white Trump-supporting females in Espanol. But, you know, that's what we've come to expect with these grifting panders. And then there's Tulsi. Tulsi Gabbard. She's kind of hot. <laughs> well, apparently she was the most searched candidate across America, but somehow never trended on Twitter. In fact, Tim Poole said the game was rigged from the start. Bennett and Inslee are trending over her? Doesn't, make this, doesn't seem to make sense. That was uh, Jack Posobiec. Um, so, yeah, she actually got up there. Um, she's, in my mind, I think she's the most dangerous candidate. She's hot and she's dangerous because she can keep composure. She can levy attacks. She can drop the hammer like she did on Kamala Harris, which we'll get into in a moment. And uh, at the same time, she sounds reasonable. Even though she's still a lefty, she's still a progressive, she still has a ton of things that I don't agree with. But all in all, we all knew Joe Biden was the overall target, okay? And he was less than stellar. Old Lunchbox Joe. Looks like, uh, you know, the, the moniker Sleepy Joe Biden kind of works. Um, I would have to say his greatest accomplishment, the fact that, the fact that Joe Biden was able to use the term malarkey in multiple dates over multiple election cycles. That was his great accomplishment. He used the, the word malarkey back against Paul Ryan in 2012 in the, in the vice presidential debates, and then he used it again. Um, so, yeah, Biden not doing so well. Um, but then some people on CNN, like Jennifer Granholm, she just went on and on about his performance. I think that collective sound of sighing you hear are the sighs of relief of people in the Democratic Party who wanted Joe Biden to show up. And he did. I know he had, there were a couple of rough moments, but honestly, his opening was sharp. 
His closing was sharp. He had a great response, I thought, to Bill de Blasio, the sort of fourth moderator, um, about, <laughs> about the TPP and trade. And he had, he came forth in a strong way. And in a state like Michigan, that was really important in terms of how, whether he would support NAFTA 2.0. So I thought Joe Biden did a great job tonight. And I, you know, we'll see what happens in September. Now, let's not forget Jennifer Granholm is a part of Biden's debate prep team. So, of course, she's going to just think he just was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But Chris Matthews, he had a different take on Biden's performance. Changing his vote on the Hyde Amendment, for example. And so he had so many people coming at him from so many directions. I think it would be very hard for him to be a successful goalie tonight. And I'm sure, but I will say one thing. He was 100% better or maybe 200% better than he was in the first debate. He seemed to be aware he was in a debate, which was a start for him. And I thought he was reciting a lot of stuff. In fact, a lot of times when he got to the end of his, his time, it was like he ran out of his recitation rather than his thought. I don't think that looked too good. Chris, as you know... So, yeah, Biden not doing so well. In fact... I guess he was trying to give out, you know, the text code that you can donate through your phone, but he never really told anybody about it. Just listen to this. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was much like Bob Dole back when he was running against Clinton, when he was giving out his clunky version of his web address. This election is important. I ask for your support. I ask for your help. If you really want to get involved, just tap into my homepage, www.dolecamp96.org. Thank you. God bless America. So now we get to Kool-Aid Man. Cory Booker and his S-hole countries. Yeah, Coach Hines is going to get up there and talk about immigration and how, you know, it's this is a false premise, by the way. I wanted to bring up a false premise that everyone on both sides of the aisle are using. Um, this whole thing where, you know, if you have a PhD or if you have a degree of higher education, you're going to be somebody that will be a good contributor to society. We want you to immigrate here. But listen to Cory Booker get into it with uh, Joe Biden on his Kool-Aid. The fact is that the bills that the president, that the, excuse me, the future president here, that, that, that the senator is talking about. Well, first of all, I'm grateful that he endorsed my presidency already. That's Mr. Not, Vice President, Mr. Vice President, I didn't interrupt you. Sorry, Please show I me that respect, sir. Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you need to- <laughs> yeah, the root and some of these other hip hop culture style uh, woke Media outlets, they thought that was just so great, even though it sounded about as authentic as, uh, you know, the vegan hot dog. But the thing that people have to realize, like I was saying, this this myth about every immigrant should be highly educated because that means they'll be good people. Um, You know who had a degree from higher education that was here illegally? That would be Muhammad Atta. And he flew a plane into one of the World Trade Center buildings. So really, we need vetting. We need assimilation. We need people that want to be a part of this country that are desiring a new life. Not just that they are highly educated. Most of the terrorists, you know, look at Osama bin Laden's family. 
Huge family. One of, you know, we lost um, one of his sons. God rest his soul. <clears throat> um, but look at his family. Engineers, they built the majority of the roads throughout the Middle East. So just because they have a degree doesn't really mean that, you know, they're somebody who's worthy of being here. And then, of course, Kamala Harris, she also has her views on immigration. I thought it was great what Stephen Miller posted about her. He said, Kamala Harris, I'll never separate children from their parents at the border. I will when those little SHITs are late for school in San Francisco, but never at the border. Yeah, she's got a history of being really extreme on truancy. So here is Michael Bennett and Kamala Harris talking about health care. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. It bans employer-based insurance and taxes the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion. Do you know how much that is? That is 70% of what the government will collect in taxes over the next 10 years. Thank we you, don't Senator. need to do that. Sen uh, Governor, we can Senator, have I'm going to come to you in a second, but I, I, do want to, I do want to care in this country. I do want to bring in Senator I, Harris because he just suggested you were not being honest. He, it, it, we cannot keep with the Republican talking points on this. You got to stop. You know they keep talking about these new insurance plans. You know you get they get into how it's going to be a tax if you don't sign up for it and then you'll just pay the difference or it's going to be a, a plan and you don't pay a tax and they call it a tax bait you know we can give a tax bait which will raise the gdp by a lot of percent which will lower the debt to eight zillion and it'll give the middle class a flizzity flu thousand a year and it's all bs they told us this last time i mean how are we falling for this crap again the fact that you know they're going to sit there and, and make this case all day, all night about how health care needs to be reformed again and how it's going to save us money. I mean, you know, these idiots told us a million different ways that they need to fix health care after they already fixed health care. And then they're going to tell us it's going to save money right after they promised it was going to save money. And then we didn't save money. We paid out of our ass. We had our deductibles skyrocket to levels that we'll never even touch. We're still paying for insurance we won't be using. And at the same time, some people who had great plans, because they were modified due to the economic impacts of government-run health care, well, they made an adjustment and that made them obsolete and they got their plans canceled. You know, and, and then you have idiots like Kirsten Gillibrand complaining about how for profit companies are only beholden to its shareholders. You know, nah, Ms. Gillibrand, for profit companies have an obligation to provide a good product to people who will return as customers or who will sign up as customers, which then helps their shareholders. That's how it works. Government doesn't have an obligation to anyone but itself, so they'll squander your money on stupid crap like mountain lions on treadmills for studies. You know, I mean, the thing that she doesn't realize with pharmaceuticals, they generally operate at huge losses in the very beginning because of the level of research and development cost, because they know that if they do crack the code on something, they can patent what they have created, which will recoup that money in droves through patents or even through the valuation of the company skyrocketing to a point where another company might buy them out because of what they've created and what it's worth. But this whole idea about insurance needing to be fixed by the government, the government ruined it, all right? 
I mean, the government is responsible for the fact that our insurance is all screwed up. You know, how about you let me buy my health insurance from whatever company I want, regardless of state lines? Or better yet, how about you let me pay the doctor directly? Patient to doctor relationship. The cost of, of those items would be based on the market. I mean, think about the history of health insurance. In 1850, the first U.S. insurance firm was founded. It offered insurance against injuries received during an accident. Hospital and medical expense insurance wasn't introduced until the 1920s. Individual hospitals and, in 1929, employers offered prepaid plans to help cover the cost of medical expenses. Employer or union-sponsored health insurance became commonplace after World War II when it was offered as a benefit to compensate for limited wages. And you know why those late wages were limited? Because government caused a wage freeze. So to attract employees, they said, well, we can't give you any more money, but we can hook you up with these sweet deals that will cover your health insurance. You know, and and then it was a a recruiting tool in job categories with high demand and limited supply. President Truman began throwing around the idea of a government-sponsored health plan during this post-war period, but... It wasn't until 1965 that Lyndon Johnson, another socialist progressive, signed Medicare and Medicaid into law. In the 1970s, changes in the law allowed managed care through HMOs. Today, as we well know, the options for health care plans are extensive and quite complicated. The problem here is, is that it's all about how money is spent. It's all about what is your interest. It's all about the government has no interest. You know, when Elizabeth Warren was up there talking about her friend who had ALS, Obama would have said, hey, give him the pill. We don't have the resources to spend on curing somebody who we know is going to die because all these other people need the resources. That's how it's going to work. It's going to be like the DMV. It's going to be as cold as the IRS. It's going to be as badly run and into the, into the red as the post office or as Amtrak. You know, like Milton Friedman, the great economist, said, There are four ways in which you can spend money. You can spend it on yourself. When you do that, why then you're really watching what you are doing and you're trying to get the most for your money. Then you can spend your own money on someone else. For example, I buy a birthday present for someone. Well, then I'm not so careful about the content of the present, but I'm very careful about the cost. Then I can spend someone else's money on myself. And if I spend someone else's money on myself then I'm sure going to have a great lunch. (laughs) I'm going to dine out well. Finally, I can spend someone else's money on someone else, and this is what government insurance would result in. If I spend someone else's money on someone else, I'm not concerned about how much it is. I'm not concerned about what I get, and that's government. And that's close to 40% of our national income. That's what Milton Friedman was talking about. Now we get into Tulsi Gabbard, and she just laid waste to Kamala Harris. I mean, she just went on the attack. Some say that she's kind of vying for the vice presidential position if Joe Biden gets the nod. Who knows? But she went in hard. Congresswoman Gabbard, you took issue with Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a, quote, false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. 
There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. As the elected Attorney General of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about reentering former offenders and getting them counseling. It Thank is you. why, and because I know that criminal justice Thank system you, is Senator. so broken, that I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to your, not only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to, I want to bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in your response. The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Senator Harris. <laughs> And so, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard destroying wrecked Kamala Harris. So CNN has to play a little damage control. And after the debate, they bring Kamala Harris on and they talk about how Tulsi Gabbard has some interesting insight on Syria and Bashar al-Assad. Did, did you did you expect that uh, from Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, had had you had interaction about that in the past? And how do you think it went? Well, I mean, listen, I. This is going to sound immodest, but I'm obviously a top-tier candidate, and so I did expect that I would be on the stage and take hits tonight because there are a lot of people that are trying to make the stage for the next debate. Yeah, it's do, for a lot of them, it's do or die. Well, yeah, and especially when people are at zero or 1% or whatever she might be at. And so I did expect that I might take hits tonight. Um, but, you know, listen, I think that um, this coming from someone who has been an apologist for uh, a, 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 an individual, Assad, who has murdered um, the people of his of his country to, like cockroaches. Um, she who has embraced and been an apologist for him in a way that she refuses to call him a war criminal. Um, I, I can only take what she says in her opinion so seriously. Um, and so I, you know, I'm prepared to move on. And so at least they gave Tulsi Gabbard the opportunity to set the record straight. So they brought her on and they wanted to press her on her views on Bashar al-Assad the leader of Syria, and they try to pin her in a corner to either endorse this guy or condemn him. The only thing really she said about you is she said that you were essentially an apologist for Bashar al-Assad, uh, that you would never criticize him as a, uh, you know, a dictator or a murderer. I think it's unfortunate and a disservice to voters in this country that she resorts to cheap smears rather than actually addressing her record, the issues that I've raised, and the fact that she said she is proud of this record. If that's the case, then 
voters deserve to hear about why she's so proud of the lives that she has negatively impacted, the families that she's torn apart in California. If uh, if voters are wondering, what is your take on Bashar al-Assad, what do you say? My take is one of a soldier, where I've seen the cost of war firsthand. In Iraq, serving in a medical unit every single day, confronted with that high human cost of war. So I will never apologize for doing all that I can to prevent more of my brothers and sisters from being sent into harm's way to fight counterproductive regime change wars that make our country less safe, that take more lives, and that cost taxpayers trillions more dollars. So if that means meeting with a dictator or meeting with an adversary, Absolutely. You, I would do it. Do you this consider is about him, the national security of our country. I understand that position. Do you consider him a, a torturer or a murderer? That's not what this is about. I don't defend or apologize or have anything to do with what he has done to but his But if you're president of the United States. And so let's talk about Marianne Williamson, because she spoke about this on the first debate, and a lot of it was brought up in this debate, the Flint, wa- Michigan water crisis. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. And so, let's talk about Marianne Williamson, because she spoke about this on the first debate, and a lot of it was brought up in this debate, the Flint, Michigan water crisis. My response on the Flint water crisis is that Flint is just the tip of the iceberg. I was recently in Denmark, South Carolina, where it is, there is a lot of talk about it being the next Flint. We, we have an administration that has gutted the Clean Water Act. We have communities, particularly communities of color and disadvantaged communities all over this country who are suffering from environmental injustice. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. This is part of the dark underbelly of American society. The racism, the bigotry, and the entire conversation that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. We need to say it like it is. It's bigger than Flint. It's all over this country. It's particularly people of color. It's particularly people who do not have the money to fight back. And if the Democrats don't start saying it, then why would those people feel that they're there for us? And if those people don't feel it, they won't vote for us. And Thank you very much, Ms. Williamson. The dark psychic forces. That's amazing. But (laughs) she is absolutely nuts. And I'm glad she's on the debate stage because we need that nuttiness. We need that comic relief. And at times, she actually sounds like the most reasonable one of the bunch. The rest of them are posturing and pandering and doing whatever. But, you know, when we get into the whole Flint, Michigan water crisis, there's a few things that we have to uh, put into perspective. Listen to this representative. I think he's a state representative in Flint, Michigan, about the candidates who, uh, you know, weren't really uh, too concerned about it. What do you want to hear the candidates talk about? Well, you know, an hour north of here is my hometown of Flint. I'd like to hear more about what's going on there. If you want to talk about economic injustice or trade policy or infrastructure failure or the fact that we need to invest in better schools, which is what they talked about, we want Flint to be part of that conversation. These candidates or anybody else, they can't just come to Flint for a photo op, check the box and say that they've done their duty. Uh, we need to hear solutions because what's good for Flint is good for Baltimore, is good for Detroit, 
That's a conversation this country has to have, and I think it was a missed opportunity last night. I hope we make up for it with the, with the debate tonight. So what do you want to hear the candidates talk about? Well, you know. Well, the left definitely made up for it because they tried to center it as if it happened under President Trump. Basically, they complained about Flint, the Flint water supply as though this was a Republican issue, which is amazing. Now, listen to this doctor who is talking about the whole Flint, Michigan water crisis. I want to hear the candidates talk about Flint. We are literally an hour away from Flint. It is still in the midst of a public health and environmental crisis, uh, beginning its recovery, but a long way to go. The story of Flint needs to be brought to light because it's a national story. It's a story that resonates with so many issues that are facing so many other children and cities, be it of aging infrastructure, environmental injustice, public health um, protections, which we are dismantling right now, and fundamentally how we care for our children. Uh, so the Flint story is not just about Flint, it's really about how we will lead our nation um, and how we can use Flint as an example um, to to better all of these significant issues that we are facing. Did you think we talked about it on our last night? No, uh, I didn't. Uh, it was mentioned very briefly. Um, the the, um, the mention of it being an infrastructure issue was brought up. Also the issue of the, uh, the injustice that it would not have happened in a richer uh, a wider area was brought up, um, but it needs to it needs to come up again. It needs to come up in a more uh, uh, thorough way, which is very difficult to set up these kind of interviews. It's hard to these kind of debates. It's hard to really kind of go deep in lots of issues. So they want to talk about Flint, Michigan, and the water, and they want to blame it on Trump. It's actually just a collapse of everything government. I mean, everything is government related. You know. Think about this. The Flint water crisis began in 2014. A government stimulus program. Yeah, those shovel-ready jobs. Obama made that happen. The crisis began after the drinking water source for the city of Flint, Michigan, was changed from Lake Huron and the Detroit River to a less costly source of the Flint River. Look at that. They didn't even really need to change it. But they decided to. And the water source, which was treated by Detroit Water and Sewerage, uh, department was changed to the Flint River. Officials failed to apply corrosion inhibitors to the water. As a result, several problems occurred that culminated with lead contamination, creating a serious public health danger. Due to insufficient water treatment, lead leaked in from the pipes into the drinking water, exposing over 100,000 residents to elevated uh, lead levels. A pair of scientific studies proved Lead contamination was present in the water supply. A federal state of emergency was declared in January 2016, and Flint residents were instructed to use only bottled or filtered water for drinking, cooking, cleaning, and even bathing. It's amazing. This is what happens when government tries to, you know, handle things. That's People don't realize whenever you get into a situation, you know, some things are run by government because of, you know, we talked about this before, because of its monopoly status, you know, railroads, you didn't want to put a thousand railroad tracks by competing rail companies together. Or you're going to have tons of railroads everywhere. You Same thing with uh, electrical lines. You don't want tons and tons of companies po- popping up tons and tons of, uh, of electricity lines. And then, you know, it gets to a point where it's going to get out of control. Same thing with, you know, the water supply. But the fact that 
things were going the way they were going. And then they decided to shift gears because of they wanted to find a way to spend money for Obama's stimulus. That's ridiculous. And then Obama shows up there. This is from PBS NewsHour. Obama drinks filtered city water in Flint to show it's safe. Amazing. Yeah, he, he's sitting there drinking a cold glass of water, a little H2O, and acting like it's no big deal. <laughs> but, you know, that's what happens, again, when you get government involved. Um, it's unbelievable. So they're sitting there trying to blame all this on Trump, and I've heard them say they're going to blame this on uh, some sort of co-op like they did with the, you know, with healthcare. And when you think about the healthcare situation, that's, you know, they're talking about doing these government run healthcare plans that are devoid of any sort of a employee backed uh, plan. They're all, they're all going to be run at below market forces. And if you think about it, it's the same thing as like public school, private school, you know, they can afford to run into the black because or we're running to the red because they actually can operate using the taxpayer money. Whereas a, a private school, they have to compete on performance. They have to compete on revenue. They don't have taxpayers paying them out. So the cost goes up. They can't compete at the levels in which public school can compete. So these are things to put into consideration that this whole Flint water crisis was a breakdown of, of government. It wasn't, a breakdown of capitalism. They tried to say there was some sort of co-op that was working with this, but that's all crap. This was a pure example of government overreach, spending gone crazy, resulting in unnecessary problems. Think about the Aminus River. They turned that thing yellow. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, trying to do something you know, environmentally sound for the river, turned the freaking thing yellow. I mean, there's pictures of it. It's the Environmental Protection Agency. They can't even protect the freaking environment correctly. So that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with these situations. And this entire debate was just lots of pandering, lots of giveaways, lots of things that, you know, they think that they can do better than everyone else. And we have to realize that it's always going to blow up in their face. Combat Flip-Flops, bad for running, worse for fighting. Combat Flip-Flops is a veteran-owned company that funds education and demining. Everything Combat Flip-Flops manufactures is made in an area of conflict or post-conflict, like Afghanistan, Colombia, Laos. And you can check out more about Combat Flip-Flops by checking out the TED Talk by Combat Flip-Flops CEO Matt Griffin on YouTube. You can also use the promo code SLADE25 and you will get 25% off of your first purchase. Go to combatflipflops.com. That's combatflipflops.com. So speaking of immigration, this little exchange with uh, Cory Booker talking about how he, uh, he was ripping on the immigration ideas, the policies that Biden wants to pursue, where they uh, have PhDs and things. Um, it gets a little ridiculous, but l listen to this. I, I heard the vice president say that. If you've got a PhD... You can come right into this country. Well, that's playing into what the Republicans want, to pit some immigrants against other immigrants. Some are from shithole countries. 
and some are from worthy countries. Yeah, and you know, I, on a side note, I want to talk a little bit about immigration. Both sides have a weird fascination with thinking, oh, you know, if they got a PhD, they're going to be great. We'll bring them in. They'll be good, productive people to society. You know, and, and there's a, a weird lack of parsing of, you know, options and uh, pros and cons. I'm not saying bring people in that are, that are undereducated, but don't assume that everybody coming in the country because they are educated is worth having in the country. You know, does anyone remember there was an illegal immigrant who was here on a visa? He had higher education. And he flew planes into the World Trade Center. His name was Muhammad Atta. You know, you think about a lot of the individuals in the Middle East who are, I mean, I, I've talked about this at, at, before, earlier in the program. They, a, lot of the, a lot of the terrorists, some of them have doctor degrees. Some of them are engineers. I mean, just because they have education doesn't make them the glowing individual that you think they're going to be. They have to assimilate. We have to vet them. All of that has to be in place. So this is my wrap-up of 2020's uh, Democrat debate for night two. Night one was pretty pretty funny, but I didn't want to get too clip-heavy on night one. John Delaney, I guess he's, or he's trying to be the moderate, but he's not really that moderate. He's got a little work program that he wants everybody to be involved in mandatory service you know you either go in the military like they do in israel or you do service for the government you know you go around making people aware of climate issues or you go around installing solar panels and refurbishing houses to retrograde fit them retrofit them to green energy standards all this crap so he's not that much of a moderate just like tulsi gabbard's not a moderate now, uh, Tulsi Gabbard's hot. She's got some interesting stances. We've talked about that earlier, but we realize nobody in the Democrat field is moderate right now. And we're going to come into a weird situation once we get down to the nominee. Because if it's Joe Biden, what does the left do? The progressive socialist left, do they freak out? The Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is out there? Do they lose their mind and, and start a revolution because he's not pandering enough to that wing because there is a huge civil war in the Democrat party that you're witnessing in full daylight right now. And so you got to recognize that they're not going to go quietly. The people behind Bernie Sanders, the people behind Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's just a, a freaking figurehead, the people behind Rashida Tlaib, She's got a donor who's donated to her and he's been dead for 10 years. Donated to her campaign. Those people, the, the Ilan Omars, the people that put her into power, they're not going to go quietly. So it's going to be really interesting when we get down to figure out who the actual nominee is. This portion of the program is sponsored by Cat Coolers. So rugged, it changes everything. They keep ice cold for up to seven days. Made in the United States, customizable, four different colors, white, black, yellow, even camouflage. Look, if you're going out on the lake doing some fishing, it's beach weather. Maybe you're going camping with the kids. Maybe you're in the Boy Scouts. Maybe you want to take the cooler out on the job site, 
for those people that work with you, this thing will keep your items cool for hours. Spring, summer, right around the corner, picnicking, outdoor season is upon us, boys and girls. A cat cooler will be your new best friend. Keep your food and drink fresher, colder, longer. Go to catcoolers.com. Use the promo code Adrian. Catcoolers.com. Use the promo code Adrian, and you will pick up an amazing Gibraltar-esque, sturdy, rugged cooler that will keep your items cold for hours. Now, when we get to the nominee for 2020, that's when suppression of online uh, content by conservatives is going to be at its height. I can't even imagine what it's going to look like. I mean, think about this. This is actually something that happened just the other day. LifeSite. LifeSite is a pro-life blog news uh, site. Brett Bozell, who watches a lot of the uh, media interaction, he said, another conservative voice is censored under the false banner of fighting intolerance, this time by Apple. Hey, Tim Cook, it's stunning. If this is your policy, you need to intercede and reinstate LifeSite immediately. Well, LifeSite has basically been removed from any of the, uh, any of the uh, media sites that Apple operates with. This is from uh, Newsbusters, which Britt Bozell's part of. A pro-life news website was booted from Apple News Platform without clear explanation. The co-founder and editor-in-chief, John Henry Weston, contacted Media Research Center's Free Speech Alliance Coalition requesting help in the council after being deplatformed for supposed intolerance. Now, they're not the only ones feeling some pain on this. You know who's really... This is amazing to me. This is, this is going to show you the level of fear that the left has towards conservative influence. The Babylon Bee, who we've joked about, they are a conservative satire site, kind of like The Onion. They do some great pot shots. I mean, they have... Let me see if I can pull up some Babylon Bee stuff here so you can hear some of the, some of the headlines because they're really funny. I mean, they've really... They've got a good sense of humor, and they also, if you're a believer like myself, um, they do take pot shots at religious things, too, which is really funny. Um, like, a struggling chemistry teacher takes life of crime, manufacturing plastic straws to sell on streets of Santa Barbara. <laughs> Local mom drops bored kids off at school three weeks early. Elevation Church debuts water slide baptismal. You know what I mean? <laughs> Local Christian would do anything for Jesus except believe things that are unpopular. <laughs> Mario Lopez criticized for saying it's dangerous to let children play with sharp knives. You know, the Babylon Bee is now getting pressured by Snopes. And in the beginning, we laughed about it. We're like, okay, Snopes is fact-checking a, a satire site? The heck is that all about? But listen to this. They're doing it for a reason. And it's an insidious reason at that. Readers of the Bee, we apologize for the length of this notice, but wanted you to bring something to your attention. Last week, Snopes fact-checked us again. We're pretty used to that. But this time, instead of merely rating the article false, they question whether or not our work qualifies as satire, and even went so far as to suggest that we are deliberately deceiving our readers. Basically, they treated us as a source of intentionally misleading fake news and legitimate, um, legitimately was trying to deplatform uh, de them. We made a stink about this because Facebook 
began partnering with fact checkers to try to limit the distribution of fake news on their platforms, and Snopes was one of them. So they used them to basically try to deplatform the Babylon Bee because the Babylon Bee has influence now. The Babylon Bee has reach. They don't like being mocked on the left, and they don't like anyone who has influence. That's why, even though you know you can say what you will about Alex Jones, he has a following since the '90s. They're like the Grateful Dead. You see them drive around the busted trucks with like millions of bumper stickers. You'll see the Infowars sticker somewhere. So it gets even further when Eric Erickson. He, you know, from uh, the resurgence, he pointed out, interesting how the Babylon Bee upsets a lot of people who themselves are as journal, think of themselves as journalists. The site engages in satire and parody, but more often than the onion, it pokes at the sacred cows on the left. Well, a blue check journalist posted this thread. His name is Josh Raby. I'd like to take a moment to talk about the, how the Babylon Bee and the role it played in ending my relationship with my dad. <laughs> Conservatives certainly have the right to their own riff on The Onion. I'll leave judgments about their success at this point up to you. I'm mainly interested in a simple rule of all art, communication, and comedy. Know your audience. Defenders of the Babylon Bee say liberals grousing about their site don't like it because it pokes fun at things that they like and to hell with them because they're not who the jokes are for anyways. Sounds like they know their audience, right? Well, sort of. But the axiom is know your audience, not know who your audience is. I know this seems lame and semantic, but trust me, it's not. Knowing who you want to reach is only half the job. Knowing how your words reach them is another. My dad is 100% um, the audience for the Babylon Bee, so so are his Facebook friends. So let me tell you about how that worked out 13 months ago and how it ended our relationship. He posted this image, and it was joking on uh, Senate Democrats demand Supreme Court nominee not be unduly influenced by U.S. Constitution with these different quotes by Chuck Schumer. Um, Now, I normally ignore political posts from family, and Dad's caption was vague enough to at least give me comfort that I knew it was a gag. Then I saw the comments from his friends, dozens of replies, all older, rural, low-income white folks like him, just uniformly horrified. Every single one of them totally believed these quotes were real. Some were even typing prayers for our country. So I foolishly waded in. Quote, just a heads up, these aren't real quotes. This is a joke post. Saw some of your friends confused about that, so thought I'd make it clear. I know you don't want anyone taking satire as fact. I love you, Dad. (laughs) 23 seconds later, he's got this picture of the Walking Dead zombies attacking. People were livid, immediately calling me names. I knew none of these people. Telling me to shut up. The quotes were real. Get off the thread, calling me blind. Then one guy, a sign maker from northern Alabama, asked me a question that said it all. Quote, how can you say these aren't real quotes, liar? You have no way of knowing for sure. I replied, can you link me to one source where these quotes appear online other than this viral image? Within five seconds, I don't need to look it up. I know they're real. So I looked it up myself and found the answer here, the Babylon Bee. I pasted the link and said, hey, man, this is from the Babylon Bee. It's a satire site. It's a joke. I found it for you. Happy to help. So I went to the about section and got a screenshot. Five seconds later, it's real. F you. You think you're better than me? F you. I believe it. And I noticed away from this reply in the thread, the guy had commented again, calling me names, and my dad had jumped on to agree with him and to refer to me as a left-wing radical. So I called my dad. I was hot. Not going to lie. Why was he attacking me to strangers? There's a good shot my, my dad, due to his Facebook political grouping habit, 
Didn't even know this dude was real in real life. <laughs> of course I know this isn't real, but these people like it, and it isn't my job to police their opinions. I just post things that they'll enjoy, so you need to stop ruining it with your liberal activism. My dad is 77 years old. He's chasing online likes at the expense of truth. Nearly 80 years old and insecure that he needs information of wrong, dumb strangers more than he values his own kid. My dad is Trump. That was it for me, my dad. My mom called and tried to apologize for him, admitted she had fallen for the image herself. <laughs> and this is his take on the Babylon Bee. He basically is, is saying that it caused a falling out. And this is the, the kicker when he says, P.S. Absolutely none of these folks accountable for their ignorance. Um, oh, absolutely hold these folks accountable for their ignorance because I grew up just as poor and badly educated as them. But the threads about how comedic styles work differently with different cultures, satire can't work with a top-down anti-truth culture, and the Babylon Bee is open to criticism for that. So that's, that's the, the basis of their, you know, their outrage. They want to shut down the Babylon Bee because they're effective with satire and they're hilarious. But that's going to be all of us. Anyone that has influence online that is pushing for the truth, we're all going to get canned and wait till it gets even closer to the election. Wait till they have their nominee because they feel like they lost the last election because of social media's influence. So what do you think they're going to do when they go up against social media that's out there now, now that they hold the reins to social media. They're going to limit everybody. They're going to remove people left and right like they did Jesse Kelly, which they had to restore him because it was blatantly obvious that he did nothing wrong. So if you're online and you're making some waves, prepare to be eliminated by the left. Real quick, I want to tell you about Atron Teal. Atron Teal is the world's first ever over-the-counter proven solution for bloating. And if you go to lovemytummy.com slash mojo, use the code mojo, you get a discount. Atron Teal's 90-capsule uh, box is normally $39 uh, a box. When you buy three boxes with the promo code mojo, you will get a three-month supply of bloating and digestive relief for only $99. You save over $20 on three boxes of Entron Teal. It's developed by a board-certified gastronologist, Ken Brown, who actually has a show on Spoonie Radio. So go on iHeart.com and check out Spoonie Radio. That is our food and wellness and uh, culture channel. And there's some great programming on there. It's safe for daily use, 100% natural Polyphenols designed to address bloating problems when they begin, wherever they begin, and not just to treat the symptom. It's not a probiotic. It's not an antibiotic. This blend of polyphenols is designed to your body to work as a gut regulator to end methane and then function as a postbiotic to benefit your overall health. It's the world's only digestive aid that contains... Um, Cabroche, which I can really say. And for, your, for you athletes out there, it's the world's only bloating remedy that is NSF certified for sports. So go to lovemytummy.com slash mojo and use the promo code mojo to get that discount. All right. So before we get out of here, I want to thank you for tuning in because I wanted you to be able to get a feel for these crazy debates and what the left is offering because there's really nothing that they're going to offer. And the fact that they're going to shut you down with social media, they're going to try to skew what you can see. They're going to try to suppress what you post. They're going to try to demonetize anyone who's making a, a voice, 
making a difference. They're going to even take satire sites and try to deem them as fake news. You're not going to get all the information you need. The main thing is you have to seek for it. You have to research. You have to do the, you got to use due diligence to look and find out what's going on with these candidates and with the candidates that you support, because this next election is going to be extremely important. And looking at what they have to offer on the other side, it's kind of concerning, a bit concerning. And you really want to make sure when we get down to the fact that the next election could change health care, could change the economy, it's going to be extremely important. So you're going to have to stay on your toes and do the research for yourself. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 5 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo50.com. Every Wednesday, 10 p.m., you can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m., Sunday morning, midnight. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.